If you've been with us in, at all in the last uh, four to six months, we've been talking about a shift called slave to child. If you have not been with us, uh, except for the last two or three weeks, this might seem a little new to you. I can summarize it in a sentence or two. We believe, or we're talking, we, we believe as a church that God has called us as the people of God to live with God and in the world in exactly the same way that Jesus lives with the Father and in the world. When the Bible says that he would be firstborn among many, it implies there would be others. And that is the people of God in any generation. Therefore, we live as sons and daughters of the living God. And that radically changes the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see the world. Does it not? I have begun to wonder how much, I wouldn't know this, but I wonder how much of uh, our neurosis as a society or as an individual stems from the failure to see ourselves as God sees us. That is to say, whoever you are, God knows things about you that you still don't know. Even if you can recite them by memory, you may not know them. And God knows them to the nth degree. And as we mature in Christ, we begin to see ourselves in the way that God sees us. And that changes the way that we engage the world there. We studied that not only in the life of Abraham last fall, but in the life of Jesus during the Advent. There, that's the last four months. That wasn't bad. Now, I would like to take that question and raise it one level and ask, what would happen if an entire community as one person lived as a child instead of a slave? What if an entire team, a business, a church, a small group made the shift together from slave to child? It's a big question. So in order to get there, let me just do my math in front of you. That okay? I'm gonna anyway, you might as well like it. I started by going back to the words of Abraham. I went back to what we learned in Abraham about how people act as slaves or how they act as children. And I started thinking, if a whole community of people, a business, a group, a team, a church, lived as slaves, if it was a culture of slavery, then they would be driven by control. There would be less talk about what God is doing and more talk about what we're gonna do to make something happen. They would be a performance-driven culture. The people who lived in that community would know that as long as they perform, then they can have their job or they can have their status or their place. But when they can no longer perform, then they would be pushed to the margins. And so they would be consumed by extrinsic forces, the market, the clientele, the status, 
anyway, something outside of themselves motivating them to do more, 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 more. They're serving something else. It's not coming from within. You with me so far? Yes? I'm putting words in your mouth. It would be then a culture of fear. They would be afraid of losing their status. They would be afraid of the competition. They would be afraid of anything that was unfamiliar to them, afraid of any authority over them, and so they would become territorial. They would become detached from other people. It would become every person for themselves individualistic. They would not think of the entire team. They would think primarily of their standing in the team and how they can raise their own value, not of the group as a whole. It would be an indulgent society. They would look at anything like discipline as being negative. They would see that as controlling, as somebody outside of them telling them how to behave and I can do what I want because I'm free. It would be an overcommitted society. They would either commit to nobody or they would commit to everybody because they can't say no as easily as they can say yes because somebody would think poorly of them, and that's the worst thing in the world. So they would be driven by things like fear and shame. They would be timid. They would not be bold. They would be a risk averse. They wouldn't try new things because you could fail, and if you fail, it lowers your status amongst the community. Are you starting to get the picture? All right, I'll wait. Well, then I stepped back and I looked at that and I started thinking, dear God, is this us? And I started thinking about it as a church. Have we talked more about vision than we have about discernment? Have we said more about five and 10 year plans than we've said about what God wants for us next? You can't raise money on next. You raise money on visions of grandeur, have we become a performance-driven culture? So as long as we're all doing things that we think are Christian, we would feel Christian, but when we can no longer do those things, we feel like our spiritual life is sagging. If we become detached, I wondered somewhere I read that in any uh, business today, about 80%, it's done on research, it's just not a random number, about 80% of the people in that business do not believe there is anyone else in the business who is looking out for their best interest. They know why they are there. 
And when they can no longer do it, they will not be there. And I begin to wonder how many of the people in our church, I won't ask right now, deeply feel that there is at least one other person in this room right now or near it who wants you to succeed spiritually more than you want to succeed? Is there anyone who prays for your children better than you pray for them? Is there anyone who is more worried about your career than you're worried about it? You starting to see the picture. Then I slept on that. Not well, but I slept on it. And I envisioned a few days later an entirely different community. Like this. And I wondered what would happen if there was a community that lived like an island of life in a sea of death. What kind of an impact would that community have? Make it more personal. What if there was one family in your entire neighborhood, just one, that lived in a completely different way from every other family in the neighborhood? What kind of power would that family have? What if there were three people inside of a large corporation who together lived counterculturally. They would be peculiar and yet they would be attractive to everyone else in that large corporation. You starting to see it? Let me describe them. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity in the bond of peace, for there is one body and one spirit. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. That's a picture of it. Let me give you another picture from Philippians chapter two. If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if, if being in union with the second member of the triune God gives you any encouragement at all, if you get anything from that, Make my joy complete, Paul says, by being like-minded. Have the same love. Be one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, let the people in this community consider others better than they consider themselves. The people in this community, let them look not only on their own interests, let them look on the interests of other people. Let me give you one more picture from 1 Corinthians 
chapter 13, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It does not demand its own way. Love keeps no record of when it is wronged. It's never glad about injustice. It rejoices whenever truth rises. It never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. Now you're starting to see it, and I ask myself, if it were possible for a community of people to live as an island of life in a sea of competition and death, how attractive that community would be. And then I ask myself, have I ever been in anything like that? Have I been near it? And then I remembered, I, I'd seen it. I'd seen it one time. It looks like that. I begin to think, my goodness, in the triune God, we have three persons who are different from one another, and their differences create this healthy tension that causes something larger than any one of them to rise. There is diversity, and yet there is unity. There is reciprocity. There is openness. There is room at the table for somebody else. I started thinking, do you suppose it would be possible for this community to live with each other in the way that God lives within himself. Is it possible for this triune community to come down to earth and embed itself inside of a human organization. Thank you. I got one yes. Now, I know some of you are not all there. Some of you look at that and say, nah, oh man, that is unrealistic. That is too far. Some of you might say, I am not interested. Some of you are saying, yeah, you can call this anything, but you cannot call it impossible. Mm -mm. No, a virgin giving birth, that's impossible. Standing in front of a ship and telling the storm to be quiet and it listens, 
That's impossible. Turning water into wine. Raising a man from the dead. Raising yourself from the dead. When you're dead. Now that's impossible. We all know that that could never happen. But we know that with God, all things are possible. And we know from the incarnation that God deeply longs to put himself inside of a human body. It's what the incarnation is, people. It is the marriage of the divine and the human. It is something conceived by God, but birthed by a human being. So that when they come together, you can hardly tell where one nature stops and the other one begins. The incarnation is about a human being or a human organization being so infused by the life of God that this table moves out of heaven and lives inside this room. That'd be enough for the benediction. Only we're a long ways from that. No, we're not. So that's theory. That's all the theology for the 2% who like theology, the 98% who say, well, what really does this mean? I started thinking, this community is a one another community. It's in alelas in the Greek, and it means, it means an interpenetration inside of the other person. It means that one's identity is completely invested in the other person whose identity is invested in the one. And you might say, well, that sounds real nice for the triune God, but that's not the way human beings work. And I would remind you that while being purely human, Jesus said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers, my sisters? They're not the ones I grew up with. They're not the ones I'll grow old with. My brother and my mother is everyone who does the will of my father. He said that, not me. You understand when he said that, he is calling for us to relocate our very identity in someone else, and that is bold, that is audacious. I went into the New Testament and I discovered that there um, is a series of one another statements. 
Do you know this phrase, one another? If I would say blank one another, mm -hmm. turn to the person next to you and fill in the blank. What's the one you know? Blank one another. You got five seconds, go. All right, how'd you do? What did y'all say? Love, oh my goodness. What I discovered is that 59 times in the New Testament, the phrase one another is used, this kind of interpenetration where I am doing something completely inside of the other and the other person is at the same time doing it inside of me. 59 times, and you're right, 17 of those times, it's the phrase love one another. So I'm gonna put that right in the middle, like that. We got pretty up on the screen in case you can't read in the back. Of course, if you can't read in the back, move up. <laughs> then I discover if I take the 59 and I eliminate the 17, because I've got that in the middle, I keep on reading, I discover that six of these one another's are negative. They say things like, don't provoke one another or envy one another. And I say to myself, I don't want to preach on negative things. And then I discover that there are four times, he says, that we should greet one another with a holy kiss. And it occurs to me, I don't really want to send 1,500 people out every Sunday kissing as a result of the service. So I take the 17, I take the six, I take the four and subtract them from the 59. And now I'm dealing with a more reasonable number, 32. Almost half of what I had before. Now we're doing something, yes? Then I discover that of these 32 one another statements, Paul, Jesus, James, Peter, John, repeat themselves. They say the same thing, only in different words. So then the question becomes, how many different themes are there for which there are 32 ways to say it? I discover there are six. Each one of these becomes an expression of what it means to love one another. Here they are. Accept one another. Paul said, make room for one another. Wait for one another. Forbear one another. They're not talking about sins. It's talking about annoyances. Put up with one another's weirdness, differences. So this has to do with our posture. The second cluster is encourage. The word that's used in one translation is edify. And it comes from a Greek combination of words that means to build a house. So build a house inside one another. Listen to what the person needs. And when you can discern what their deepest need is, send a missile 
straight into that need. So when you hear this, you know that encouragement is a lot more than a compliment or words of affirmation, which you can say without even thinking, attaboy. No, no, when you encourage, you got to listen. You have to discern. You have to interpret. And then you have to target a message straight from God into that person's deepest being. Imagine a church. Mm. The third one was teach. Paul said, teach one another, admonish one another with hymns and spiritual songs and begin to wonder what would it be like if when a community got together, there wasn't just one teacher like me or the group leader. Everybody taught. And the truth that that church came to was bigger than any one person's knowledge. Well, that's another kind of teaching. And then there's a group that talks about confess our sins to one another and forgive one another. There's a group that talks about serve one another or carry one another's burdens. And the last cluster and there are only a few of these, talks about pray for one another. Now look at the board again. And if you're sitting somewhere in the center of the room and you're wondering, well, Steve, all this stuff about the Trinity moving down and living in the body and all that stuff, that's great for a theology class, but what does this actually mean? Well, what it actually means is that when this community got together, there would be moments where they accepted one and they would be open, they would be hard at the center, but they would be soft on the circumference. So anyone could get into the community and as they moved in, they would be changed. It would be a church where people listened well. And after listening, they spoke. Words would not be cheap. They would be loaded with meaning. It would be a transparent community where, where you didn't dress up in try to be something that you're not because you feel like you'll stick out like a germ in an operating room. They would just tell people what was really happening and as they told, people would forgive them. But because not everything we forgive goes away in a day, the community after forgiving them would then get under the sin with them and carry it. They would put their hands together and they would put their hearts together and they would start to pray for one another. I mean out loud. They won't just say, praying for you. 
That's become kind of like texting LOL without even smiling. You ain't laughing. And you probably ain't praying. But in this community, they would be on their knees in between the triune God and the individual themselves. And they would be saying, dear God, let's make a deal for that person. They would say, as Paul said, let me be accursed if only my people could live. Yes? Okay, I'm sensing a shifty now in the audience. You guys are full, aren't you? Are you full? Are you full? No, keep going. Well, I'm going to. It would be a community where the preacher shut up when he was done. But since we are not that community, <laughs> then a few things occurred to me as I saw this. Look at it again. Don't look at the back of my head. Look at this. It occurred to me that as God orders the body, all six of these components are somewhere in the body. Whenever there's a small group together, probably all six components are there. When there's a team, all six of these people are on it. And when there's a business, all six are somewhere in the staff. However, not all six are active. And so we have small groups that are super good at accepting and they encourage well, but there's very little teaching. And God knows there's not a lot of confession. They do pray, but when the group is over, the group is over. So I begin to wonder if certain personalities have been muted because of the dynamics of a church or of a team. And I begin to wonder what it would take for all six to be active. The other thing I noticed is that there is a sequence to these things. Once a community becomes more porous, once they become open, they can listen to differences and they can speak more intelligently. Otherwise, we're just throwing things we learned a while ago onto the floor and hoping somebody out there needs it. But when the group is open and the group listens, now there is something to teach. And once there's been teaching, there is something to confess. And because all things confessed and forgiven do not go away, when the group is over, there is something to carry. And now that we carry it, there is something intelligently to pray about. Still with me? Last thought. I believe that this is what every human being is longing for. I believe that. 
I believe even people that are not religious are longing for this. Because you don't need to be religious to be made in the image of God. And as long as you're in the image of God, you have the fingerprints of the triune God all over your soul. Man, you want this even if you don't know what to call it. I believe that when people join churches and then drift away, they drift away often because they're disappointed. They didn't find this. Churches over-promised and under-delivered. They became Christians thinking there would be more of this than actually showed up, and so they got disinterested and left. And I believe that if a society, a community, a team, an organization could live together like this, it would be the weirdest thing that the world has ever seen, and yet it would be so attractive. Do you not think this? In a world of prejudice, if there was a body that said anyone can be part of us, don't think that would stand out. In a world that is competitive, you don't think it would be attractive if there was a body that said, my goal is to make sure you win, not me. I win when you win. In a world where people's views have become polarized, our thoughts, echo chambers, our friends mirroring every opinion we have. What if there was a community that said, no, 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 no. The strength of our community is that truth lies all around us. It does not lie in one smart, overeducated individual. It lies in things like experiences and diversities and longings in the heart. We can learn from anybody. You don't think they'd be weird? And everybody'd want in. We talk a lot in church about the great commission. People, if we do not become the great communion, then everybody we win will sooner or later be disappointed. Now, here's what I know. Every one of you wants this. But since this functions like the Trinity itself, listen closely, you never get this by looking for it. Ever, ever, ever. The Father never sits at the table and says to the Son and the Spirit, what do you have for me today? The only way you get this is to bring it. Because the love you seek is too small to make you happy. The love you want can only be had when you give it away. 
Here's the altar call. I went through the trouble of having the graphics draw this up on a pretty little chart so you wouldn't have to um, worry about the board. Um, I just knew if I put it out there in your hands now, you wouldn't listen to me. On the front of the card, we've got all six of these components functioning as I drew them on the board. On the back of the card, we have definitions for each of the six components. And by the way, the definitions are only scripture. I did not add any words. So all I'm asking you to do is read the scripture and look at the front. And then on the back, there's a little sliding scale says one to 10. That's right. There's a quiz. <laughs> so I would love it. I would love it if you are the leader of a family or a team or a small group. If you're the leader of a church, you're the leader of something anyway. I would love it if you would take one of these on your way out the back door. They'll hand it to you. Uh, this won't help you if you just do it yourself. It won't help you. It's for teams. And when you take the, at the bottom, just go around and say, how do you think we would do as a team right now on encouraging one another? Scale of one to 10. And, and, and give yourself a team score. Can you do this? You do this? Thank you. Once you do that, would you tell Eric Crisp what those scores are? I promise I won't look. Well, I might. <laughs> you don't have to identify yourself to me, to him. He would love it. Because at the end of this, we're gonna ask you again. So on your way out the door, I would love it if you take one of these with you, if you would turn around and with your team or your family, your kids maybe, or with your office, and you'd say, how do you think we're doing in this? Where are we deficient? Where have we kind of muted certain players and not let them talk? But um, right now, I just want you to um, bow your heads so I can pray just something like a prayer of consecration over you. Father, may we be one as you're one. It's occurring to us right now that you meant exactly what you said and you said exactly what you meant. May we be one as you are one. May we be completely humble and gentle, patient with one another, forbearing one another in love. Oh God, help us to keep the spirit of peace in the bond of unity. For there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father of all over all, through all, and in all.